Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Eyes, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we can spend our hobby time and hobby dollar on. It, it, it leads to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I love playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people that create these fantastic games and... Uh, Money sinks? Is that what we're going to go with? Anyway, today we have, I guess it's a little bit of all three, uh, in one very awesome guest. Uh, someone who's, as you know, as you guys know, as a podcaster, I love listening to podcasts myself. I'm a podcast junkie, and I one of my favorite podcasts to listen to, I shamelessly listen to The Crown of Command, and it's a podcast that digs into uh, some of the glory days of Games Workshop games, uh, the games of old. And if we're going to be talking about the Crown of Command, of course, there's only one man who runs that podcast. And he's going to help us today by talking about a new fanzine that brings back all of the wonderful nostalgia of Games Workshop's Games of Old uh, that really just takes me back. Format and all, it's beautiful. We're going to talk about the Hero Hammer fanzine. But of course, in order to do that, I have to welcome Josh to the show. Josh, welcome to Cast Ice. Thank you very much, Brad. And thank you very much for having me on, mate. It's been a pleasure so far. (laughs) Well, we just started. We'll see how we end up, right? Right on. Well, hey... I, I've been listening to you for quite a while and I always love when you dig into, you know, older games, be it Warhammer 40,000 second edition, uh, Warhammer fantasy battle fourth and fifth edition. I hear some conversation about maybe the merging of those two, um, you know, talk about painting competitions, tournament formats for older game systems. It really does take me back in the best possible way to, you know, some of those, really nostalgic moments of my early gaming life. Um, but it's sort of all come together in the Hero Hammer fanzine. Now, why don't we start with how did your Crown of Command podcast come about? Clearly, you have a love of the old. And then let's go to Hero Hammer after that. But how how did you get this love of retro gaming, and how has that turned into this online community that you're sort of fostering? Uh, that's a very good question. It's a bit of a complex question, but I'll try to answer it answer that as uh, as best I can. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it was um, it, it it originated through the pandemic initially because you know people were in lockdown and that kind of thing. People. Um, we're, we're very isolated in different various countries around the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think, uh, before, before lockdown sort of came in or before the coronavirus came, came to effect, I think I was sort of transitioning between, uh, my love of infinity with infinity is uh, the game from Corvus Belly. Mm-hmm. They use really wonderful, uh, 28 mil metal models in a science fiction sort of manga type esque. Um, aesthetic world and uh, I was sort of really captured with that for a very long time and I was sort of having um, you know thoughts of just maybe just getting out of the game because it was just too much it was very stressful and it it took a lot of time and I I just couldn't keep up with all the rules and that kind of thing and then Mm -hmm. one of my mates um, in our local game store we had like a lucky dip and this is I, I live in Japan by the way people don't know 
And there's a, there was a wonderful local game store down in Kashua mm-hmm. in Sheba. And um, it was an awesome store, actually. And one day they had like a lucky dip. And, and uh, my mate John Joe picked one out for me. He said, oh, look, Josh is a, an, a dwarf troll slayer. And I said, oh, wow, that's cool. Okay. And I, well, we'll think about doing some um, uh, Warhammer role play at that stage. And it was, we had no talk about doing Warhammer Fantasy, nothing at all. And I, cause I was still pretty much into, um, infinity at that time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I took that home, put it in a, into one of my little, um, mini bins and that kind of thing and forgot about it. And then I think, uh, during that time, I'm sort of, sort of, you know, I'm, I'm sort of giving a vague time here, but from my memory, we, we sort of got into the song of ice and fire game that was from Simon. It was mm-hmm. like a big Kickstarter. And of course it was a tabletop um war game with using big blocks of units and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and then i remembered oh yeah i've got that dwarf and i was sort of thinking what what would these old miniatures look like with new sort of style paint jobs and right. and i started looking online and i found this guy in uh in france and he's got this incredible collection of marauder miniatures which are painted so beautifully and they're painted in the style of i don't know if you're familiar with rackham like confrontation it's oh, a yeah. french yeah, but it, he paints them exactly. I don't know if he worked for them or not, but he paint them. He paints them exactly like that in that style, like very modern style. And but you know, it's all for third edition Warhammer. Um, and he's got this massive collection, and it's so beautiful, and it really inspired me uh, greatly. And I thought, you know, I've got to get back into Warhammer because it was one of my great all-time loves. Yeah. And um, and I started talking to uh, my mate John Joe about it, and I said, you know, what do you reckon? Do you, you know, do you want to? you know, dip our toes back into the old games and stuff. And he was like, oh, no, I don't really want to do that because it's, you know, it's going to uh, result in spending more money and mm-hmm. having to buy all this stuff. And, you know, it's a massive um, undertaking, which is fair enough. So I started collecting um, a lot of Marauder Dwarfs because that was my my my, uh, my big passion in life is to collect a, a complete uh, dwarf army using the Marauder miniatures, which are released around about third edition. That's right. And then they'll sort of featured in the fourth edition dwarf book, and they're they're my all time love. And I also had a massive night goblin army and orcs as well back in Australia, sitting in a cabinet. And um, so I thought, well, I've got an army at home, and I, I've got I can start this dwarf army. They're pretty much my favourite factions in the Warhammer world, anyway. Mm-hmm. And you know, and for, if anything, I was just going to paint them up and just to enjoy that as a hobby project. So I started doing that, and then John Joe saw what I was doing. And he thought, "Well, you know, I've got some high elves back in in Japan, in England, and I'm and I think I like my uh, lizardmen." So he started collecting lizardmen, and uh, and then we sort of started making serious plans about uh, playing the game. But I didn't have the rules, so um, one one gentleman here, James Keller, um, he he you might know his name. He's quite notorious on many different sites mm-hmm. in wargaming related uh, Facebook groups, but. Uh, he was going to go back to the U.S. He he was a he's a serviceman here in Japan, mm-hmm. and um, he uh, found in his storage uh, brand new boxes of like fifth edition, uh, like the box set in shrink wrap, oh, and the um, and he, he's had these all for sale. He had the second edition box set shrink wrapped. He had Dark Millennium. He had a number of other games, and I just jumped on this fifth edition box set. Mate, I'll, I'll give you the money. Look, you can just tell me what how much it costs. He said about a hundred bucks. I said, yeah, no problem. Uh, got in the money. Got the got the game. I was so stoked. This is my second chance of uh, reliving my yeah. uh, teenage years of playing one of the all time great games. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, mate, do you have the um, the magic set? And he said, oh, no, I'm sorry, I don't. But then later, about a week later, he said, look what I found. And he found one brand new, still, you know, 
uh, still in, in the cardboard, um, uh, like the frames and everything. Nothing, nothing been touched. Yeah. So I was very, very lucky, and um, in that regard. So thanks, a big thanks to James for that. So that was really the catalyst for me getting back into the game. So I had the rules, I had the magic set, I had an army at that time, I was, I was busily painting all these dwarves, and John Joe was collecting his Lizardman army, and then we started playing games, and then um, we start, I, I really found that I thought, why the hell did I stop playing this game? I mean, uh, you know, I really loved it so much, and it, the, the rule books going through all the coloured uh, photographs and the illustrations, the comical illustrations to mm -hmm. them, uh, it really brought back a lot of love uh, for this era. And that sort of really started the ball rolling. And uh, then I sort of just abandoned Infinity altogether. And I thought I just want to really get back into painting these old miniatures and um, and getting on into the Facebook groups. And there was not that much out there for the Hero Hammer um, uh, sort of era, yeah. more for 6th edition or Middle Hammer and um, the Old Hammer uh, groups. But, you know, I started, I think my, I think generally my enthusiasm... <laughs> will be so overbearing that people sort of just get wrapped up with it and they start, mm -hmm. you know, uh, picking up on it. And uh, I think John Joe was in that in that boat. And I think a couple other guys in uh, in our group here in Tokyo um, got on board with it. So we started playing regularly uh, between the four of us. And then um, and I actually got some guy, Justin, uh, who's a sixth to eighth edition player. Mm -hmm. I got him started playing fifth edition. He really likes it now. So... Um, and we and we had some Warhammer Renaissance, which is, which is another sort of hybrid of uh, of the fourth edition rules, but with lots of other editions mixed in with it. And isn't that um, the fifth ed magic sort of bolted onto fourth ed with a few rules changes as well? Actually, no. That's the fourth ed battle battle magic system uh, oh. bolted onto the fourth ed rule system, oh. but it it has a couple of little. Uh, a couple little changes and little quirks in it that makes it a little bit different, uh, right. that makes it a little bit more unique. But it's got a lot of elements in the army books from 6th edition and some of the keywords and that kind of thing are from coming from 6th edition and 8th edition. Um, so uh, we, we enjoy playing that as well. It's a little bit different. It's it's, it's very much Hero Hammer. It's, it's very much in the same vein as um, the 4th edition book, and that's where it's coming from in its roots, really. Um, but anyhow... Nice. Um, so, sort of skipping before we we got we got more momentum on online. We got you know I'm I'm sort of posting up stuff all the time of miniatures I'm painting. I'm getting in contact with more and more people, and then I sort of started post posting questions like, "How did you get into uh, playing Warhammer on the Hero Hammer? This is the Hero Hammer group on Facebook, and I had such an overwhelming response that um, I just thought, "Wow, you know this this is really touching a nerve with a lot of people." and and I really enjoy, for me, I really enjoy listening to podcasts where they have the origin stories of people, how they got into wargaming, mm -hmm. how they got into miniature painting or something. That's of great interest to me. So I really wanted to take people's stories and have them in some kind of audio form uh, that it would reach a far greater greater community. Mm -hmm. And um, and so so was born the um, the Crown of Command podcast. And um, with the help of uh, other individuals, Dave Lister, uh, for one, who 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 did all the graphic design for my logos and that kind of thing. So it was it was really um, you know the combined efforts from many people in the community. And you know, fast forward twelve months, you know, after after doing lots of podcasts, I've, I've met a lot of other people, and then the inception of the Hirohama fanzine uh, came into being because uh, one of my Spanish friends, Angel, he sent me a picture of a mock-up uh, cover mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and he's a graphic designer by trade, so he knows he knows his stuff. And he made this beautiful um, Jeff Taylor fourth edition cover with the Hirama logo on it, and uh, and, I, and he said, "What about making a magazine?" I thought, "Wow, this this sounds just like a, a dream come true." I mean, yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, so that was the very early conception. I think that was like when was that? That was last year, maybe uh, around December, I think, um, when we started thinking about doing that, and it and it sort of picked up a lot of momentum. Uh, we we released I released that photograph on my um, on my Facebook page and 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 shared it around the groups, and a lot of people got interested in it um, because awesome. I think there is a lot of love for that old nineties, uh, early nineties, you know, mid nineties white dwarf magazines with all the uh, great color. Uh, the battle reports, the um, the terrain and painting articles, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, so basically, that that was where it all came from, mate. So basically, it's it's really a big community effort from everybody pulled together, and and everybody's passions are sort of flowing through this magazine at the moment. Now, I've heard you say on your own podcast that the the Hero Hammer magazine fanzine came to be. Uh, because of uh, coronavirus, because of lockdowns, because everyone sort of, sort of turned introspectively. Um, I guess for me, I mean, I know my own journey when we started having lockdowns in Melbourne and things got, you know, a little, <laughs> a little stir crazy at times. Um, sometimes I dug a little bit into, uh, you know, happier days, so to speak. You know, you you go to read the book that you read. Uh, you know, from that reminds you of another time. Or for me, I also painted my GI Joe twenty eight millimeter army. Uh, but I also, for example, looked back at Rogue Trader, and that's when that that's what led to the Cast Ice interview with Rick Priestley and uh, my actual playing a game of Rogue Trader with a friend of the show, John, who was on, of course, last episode. But to 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 go back, I mean, it's it's. I, I, I'm wondering, is was that your experience as, as part of that well, or is that something that people have been saying, that that this look back is because we've had a little bit more forced introspection than we would normally? Um, life just isn't traveling at the same speed as it might otherwise? I think that's a big part of it. I think a lot of people have more time on their hands to maybe sort through the the stuff that's been accumulating in their in their mm-hmm. in their attics or closets or whatever it might be, and they sort of dusted off all their miniatures and thought, oh, hang on, I've got this massive you know empire army or dogs of war army that yeah. I collected when I was you know nineteen twenty or something like that, and I just never got it painted. I think for a lot of us, it's it's reliving the time that we enjoyed in the in the nineties. And we couldn't fulfill a lot of the hobby goals due to money or time or whatever it yeah. might be um, and lack of experience or lack of playing groups or whatever it might be. And now we're sort of getting that second chance. This is our, this is our only time. I and mean, we're a bunch of old blokes. I mean, you know, this is not going to be around forever. Uh, nope. It's only for a very select number of people. I mean, I, it's not going to appeal to everybody. It's just going to appeal to those people who probably got into the hobby in the 90s, I think. And exactly. I think um, – I think – I think yeah, people people love seeing pictures of the models uh, first and foremost. Um, they're probably less interested in the game. I think the models bring back a lot of good memories for them, and they're that nostalgia pill that I like to refer it as. Um, I, I need that in order to feel comfortable about what I'm doing and about my hobby and that kind of thing. So it brings me a lot of joy, and I think it brings a lot of people a lot of joy uh, to them as well. Yeah, man, definitely, and especially when you crack open the pages of the fanzine. I mean. It, it literally, the, the layout, as you alluded to earlier, 
it feels like a 1990s issue of White Dwarf. And down to the way the, the miniatures are photographed, down to the fluff that's in there. I mean, everything that is in there, down to the headings and the font and the, the color of the, the subject headings. Oh, man, I just cracked that open and almost had to sit down. It was out, outrageous how, how close it, it is to my memory of what White Dwarf used to be. And it, it's funny, you know, when you crack open a book and, or, and you look at these pages, um, you know, I couldn't tell you yesterday or the day before I opened your magazine, I guess, because I've been looking at it for a week. But when I looked at it, my immediate thought was, uh, oh, my God, that's all the same font. But if you had asked me right before that, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. I was like, I don't know. It was just print. I, you know, I don't remember it being spectacularly laid out. But the second I saw yours, you know, note for note to the little art pieces in the corners, to the way that you have the, the, the page number in the other corner, it, it is the perfect nostalgia pill, as you call it. Uh, it was, it's just fantastic. I mean, clearly you guys put a lot of effort and time to get that right. But also the tone of the content feels very 1990s White Dwarf as well. The articles, um, it's, they're looking back. They're, I mean, you have Warhammer Fantasy, Warhammer 40,000 Second Edition, Man of War. I mean, there's just so many games in there. And, you know, the way the battle reports are laid out, it, it hits all the right, sh- uh, you know, the conversion corner, all the right notes I mean, tell us a little bit more about how that came to be. Because clearly, I mean, somebody put a lot of time and thought into this. And I imagine that would have been an evolution and not something that just happened overnight. Well, I think a lot of that um, that preciseness to the fonts and the style and that kind of thing, that, that has to really go down to Angel. Angel is a, a great guy in uh, Spain, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's sort of the brainchild behind this whole project. He's sort of the driving force behind it. He's got the technical skills to, in order to do that. I, I certainly don't have any skills in desktop publishing, in graphic design, nothing. I don't have any anything like that. So even if I really wanted to do something like that by myself, it would have been virtually impossible. So it really is down to, and you know, we were very specific that we wanted it to be in this style. We want it to be exactly like... Um, the early 90 white dwarves that we because my, my first white dwarves was 147 so I mean that's that was when the Empire Army first came out that was when the Eldar epic um, first came out so mm-hmm. I really uh, for me I really wanted it to re, uh, resemble something very close to that in certain parts of it but then other parts more so for like the later 90s or mid 90s because everybody has their own sort of uh, time when they first got into white dwarf mm-hmm. and they all have their own kind of um, envisions of what it should look like so we wanted to cater for everybody uh, in that regard so yeah all the font all the design all that's down to uh, one man um, and he, I think he's just done a, an incredible job and we've had so much good feedback from it uh, since it's been out um, so that that's been really heartwarming. And I, I'm sure Angel and the rest of the team as well, because everyone's put a lot of work into it uh, with article writing. And 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 I'm just going to give a, a few plugs out here too, because it's of course it's a community-based fanzine. It's not just one person; it's it's a group of people. Uh, and we're you know we're we're asking uh, people to contribute their own articles uh, for the fanzine as well, because it's really a community-based thing. So we've got you know guys like Johannes in Denmark, which I met through Facebook. Um, we started podcasting together and now he's doing his own podcast now, which is like math hammer style with, um, Casper, his friend Casper. 
and that's become very successful. He's now writing for the magazine, doing Math Hammer articles. So people who really love the, the nuts and bolts of how to you know, construct the perfect uh, tournament-ready army, you know, go, go to Johannes. Those guys really know their stuff. Um, we've got um, people like um, uh, law writers like Nathan Stone, uh, who I just uh, found about recently. I, I didn't know he had a podcast out, and he does a, a wonderful job in his presentation and his research and how he delivers uh, a great story uh, about the old world and about characters and all the different uh, everything back from you know first edition Warhammer all the way up to eighth edition. You know, so he covers everything. So he does an awful lot of work in in doing that, and he's writing some great stories with us. We've got Owen Staten from. Um, I don't know if you know Owen Staten, but he was he was a guest on the D6 Generation about a decade ago. Mm -hmm. uh, lovely man. Uh, he's from Wales. Um, he's he's a, also a, a storyteller. And um, I, I recently found him on Twitter, and I said, Owen, mate, <laughs> I love your work on the D6 Generation. You don't know me, but I know you. Uh, can we get together and and um, and do something together? So we're doing uh, a regular thing every. Every week on my YouTube channel, we just sit down and talk about stuff we're working on and uh, reminiscing about the old days, um, which has been fantastic. And he's now writing articles about based on his own stories uh, that he's telling about the old world. Um, and you know, it goes on and on and on. We've got the the Doctor the Viking, uh, another mm -hmm. gentleman I met uh, in um, in uh, Denmark. Mm -hmm. um, very very influential on online with his uh, painting challenges. He's really into the second edition 40k, which I'm now a part of now. I, I got roped into that. I don't know how, but <laughs> I've got so many painting projects. But I got roped into that because I've got a, yeah. a wonderful orc and goblin army I want to do. And he does some amazing articles, and that's how I found him. He did he did these incredible white dwarf style battle reports with him and his friend uh, Jonas. Yeah. Um, and they're playing some kind of campaign. I don't know if you're aware of it, but it's in the fans in the very first battle. Yes. And you would have seen that. Yeah, it's great. Um, and that's awesome. I mean, that's just brilliant. And he did that all by himself. Uh, it took him a long time, but he did it. And we brought him on as well. We said, mate, come on, let's get let's let's get your um your stuff shown to a, a wider audience so people can see it and read your articles because it's so good. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Gertian uh, or G GJ over in, in Holland, and he's helping us with because uh, he's a professional editor. Um, so big, big shout out to him. He's he's helping us with uh, editing stuff and uh, proofreading and that, that kind of thing. So he's doing a lot of work in the background for us to make sure that everything looks good and it's it's um, properly presented and there's no errors and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got Marcel, uh, my good friend in Germany. He's a wonderful man and he um, he's been a big driving force in the community as well, uh, connecting with people and that kind of stuff. He's doing some law articles or things that he's sort of working on in his home projects. I think Warhammer, uh, sorry, uh, the, um, what's it called? Warhammer Quest, and Warhammer mm -hmm. Quest. I think he's sort of dug that out and I think he wants to do something with that uh, for the future. And his wife has been helping us uh, with the proofreading as well. So it's a big combined effort, mate. Like, yeah. you know, it's just a, a cultivation of all these people coming together. We're all, we're all got our sort of uh, our things that we're really probably good at. So we've got people like myself who are, more of an aesthetic guy. I love pictures. I love um, models. I want to recreate, you know, battle scenes like the White Dwarves. Yeah. Uh, other people are more focused on writing or list building or whatever. So we've got the right people at the right sort of jobs, I think. Yeah, I, I there's so many things I want to talk about with the pick crew of people you just mentioned. I mean, because you literally have a crew of something like 12 people who worked on this first issue of the fanzine. Um, 
I mean, what's the saying? It, it takes a village to, to raise a child. I guess it takes 12 gamers to make the best fanzine I've ever seen. Um, but we have, uh, just to quickly go back, Doctor the Viking, um, also Kalabunga, I think is what he sometimes goes That's at. right. Yeah. 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 Um, his second ed painting a challenge is amazing, where he gets groups of gamers together and everyone commits to paint up uh, part of, if not a whole, second ed Warhammer 40,000 army, and then it, it's broken down by month, and then, you know, you get little online badges if you, you know, are able to meet your expectations for that month, and it's just a cool way to engage people and share people's hobby progress, and it really gives people a reason to sit down and paint, uh, but man, looking at those second ed models looks so good. I was tempted to sign up for this last round that said, nope, I'm going to just, I'm going to paint it in my own time. This looks great. Um, because some of my second ed occasionally have more modern bits and I, I'm not sure that would have fit, but just following that every month, again, right in the feels, right in the nostalgia. It's awesome to look at, uh, just to see the hard work that everyone's putting in. And it, again, it feels great. Now, Something you mentioned way back. Uh, oh, I'll come to that in a second. Um, you mentioned uh, a couple of podcasts. Now, I think we should probably plug those as well. Um, Hannes, of course, has the Flail of Skulls podcast, which is sort of the mathematical look at 5th edition Warhammer, right? Yeah, that's right. And the other fluff-oriented podcast is that uh, that I was having trouble finding the name for? Uh, War Games Orchid. Yes, that's Orchid. Yeah. Okay, I did have that. I, I actually just got finished listening to their Death Company episode, which is fantastic, and I've just downloaded the Lemazines, Demons, and Charts. Oh my, the uh, Gene Stealer <laughs> retrospective, uh, and yeah. highly recommend both of those shows, and of course yours as well. Um, if you want to look back at old Warhammer, there is just so much great content podcast-wise out there at the moment. It, it's fantastic. Um, well, I guess let's get back to just the quality of the the pictures in this and the the paint jobs on every model. It it really does harken back to the old days of White Dwarf, where you look at a, a page and go, "God, I could never paint like that." It's such a high quality. But part of me was wondering. Um, a, of course, there's talent behind this, a lot of talent. But with modern paints, with modern painting methods, with the new technical paints, even though we got goblin green bases, uh, I mean, just I'm assuming that these models are sort of coming into a new life now that we have modern painting technology. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, in some respects, I, I do. I, I don't use any of the sort of real modern paints, to be honest, for myself. But I know that uh, you might be referring to Yepe's, Yepe Denning's um, painting guide. Yes. He's an incredible painter. He's also from Denmark. I was really surprised how many people are from Denmark or Sweden that still love all the old Hammer stuff, but um, through our fanzine or through the community. But he's an incredible, incredible painter. And I just love his, love his work he's done. He's really nailed the early 90s paint jobs like the studio paint jobs yes. he's done it perfectly um and he uses a lot of those you know new new type of citadel paints and mm -hmm. technical paints or whatever that might be i'm not sort of really uh, well versed in uh, in all that sort of stuff at the moment i'm an old old school painter mate so i've got all my old school paints and that kind of thing i just have a wash <laughs> a base yep. coat and a, and a highlight so um but yeah i think you can apply like even contrast paints all that kind of stuff you know exactly. you can really um you can i've seen people paint 
models with contrast paints and they look fantastic. So, yeah. you know, you've got so many options now, so many um, avenues you can go down with paints. You've got companies, and I don't know if I could plug them here, but you've yeah. got companies that are making the old original paints now, like um, War Colors. Mm -hmm. uh, they're based in Cyprus, and I, I bought a couple of their paints because I really like the Goblin Green because the, the shade of Goblin Green they have really uh, suits my my taste in what, what Goblin Green should be uh, the the hue of hue of it should be because some are really sort of more yellowy and vibrant. Some are sort of uh, and the one I've got is more of a, a matte kind of a goblin green. I really like that for my basing. But he he sells a whole range of paints based on the original paint sets that first came out uh, in the exact same paint paint bottles and everything. So oh, that's awesome. Um, so if anybody's looking for the original sort of more original kind of or nostalgic kind of paint sets, you can go to um, his his web store at the War Colors. Mm -hmm. And there's also Coat Coat de Arms, which is based in the UK under Black Hat Miniatures, and they are the original uh, Citadel paints. So if you want the original Citadel paints in the same pots, um, go there and you can find uh, a large range of. Um, uh, sort of citadel uh, equivalents um, uh, in their paint range. So I've got a few of those as well, and they're they're quite nice. But I I just use Vallejo paints now. Yeah. I think their their game color range is is excellent. I love it the is. dropper bottles. Um, the colors are, are nice and vibrant. So yeah. Um, but yeah, anything can do. You know, it's just paint. You know, you just you just work out what whatever suits you, whatever works for you. I think best. Well, let's talk about some of the content in the magazine. Uh, because I absolutely, I mean, one of the things that hooked me when I was like, how do I saw the cover and went, that looks fantastic. And I was like, oh, what's in it? Do I, you know, you want, you know, you see a lot of thumbnails pop up on a Facebook feed. And before I realized it was attached to your podcast, I was like, yeah, do I really want to open this? Is this something I'm going to, you know, don't have a lot of time. And then I saw it was attached to you. But then one of the big hooks that got me to open the magazine and fall in love with it was your interview with Kev Adams, um, the Goblin Master, one of the legendary sculptors from the old GW days. Um, that had to feel good to be able to get someone, you know, as famous as that to come on for your inaugural issue. Um, yeah, me and Kev, we've, we've been corresponding for about 12 months now. Mm -hmm. um, it all started with... Uh, I'm, I'm going to plug someone else now. Sorry. <laughs> so Please. I'm going to plug Diego from uh, Nightmare Nightmare Games and Nightmare mm -hmm. Miniatures. Uh, you'll find his uh, page on a website or on Facebook group. Um, he's had Kev design miniatures for him for various Kickstarters, and mm -hmm. they're all sort of based on third edition orcs and goblins in that kind of style. Nice. And um, and I contacted uh, Diego and I said, mate, you know, Kev's my all-time uh, hero. Uh, can you please give me an email so that I can contact him so I can I can just say hello. So he did that, and I contacted Kev, and we've sort of been going back and forth, and he's been very open with me about his experiences. I, at first, I really wanted to know what was it like working in the studio uh, back during that time, and, and he mm -hmm. told me lots of great stories uh, about uh, the people he worked with there, like, you know, Ali Morrison and mm -hmm. um, from Marauder Miniatures and uh, Jez Goodwin and all that kind of stuff. And... Uh, other 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 kind of characters working in the studio back in those days. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a lot of fun, but you know how we got into the how we actually got into it and uh, all that kind of stuff, all the history of 
of how Kev got into uh, miniature sculpting and that kind of thing. And Kev's an all-rounder. I mean, I really respect him because not only is he a wonderful uh, miniature designer, but he's a great painter as well. I don't know if pe oh, many yeah. people probably don't know that he's a wonderful painter, um, and he's an illustrator as well. He can he can paint and draw, and you know I really uh, you know I think a lot of those guys from the 80s they could do that. Um, they they encompassed all these great. Yeah, look at Jez Goodwin. I mean, mm -hmm. okay, he doesn't paint, but man, he can draw. Wow, you know his illustrations is something else. Um, all the elder concepts he did, mm -hmm. um, all the Skaven concepts he did, or a lot of lot of stuff that uh, in the Space Marine uh, Epic Space Marine books you see all the banners, all the chapter banners. Oh yeah, you know Jez did all that. You know, um, so I really love and I really respect those guys who have that all encompassing. They can do anything. You know, they're they're these wonderful artists. So Kev brought something really special, I think, to the world of Warhammer because he has a unique background. Um, you know, he grew up in the seventies, I'd say as a teenager, he was a punk and, um, you know, you can really see, uh, that come out in his miniatures, the, oh, the yeah. kind of real cheekiness, the kind of, uh, you know, and, and maybe during that time when he was growing up, you had like certain gangs and that kind of thing. It was quite violent maybe, uh, in the, in the places where he grew up in England. Um, I don't want to presume that, but I'm, I'm just guessing that from his, from his writings in, in correspondence to me. But you can tell that in the miniatures. Look at the orcs and that kind of stuff that he, mm -hmm. that he designed. And the goblins, I mean, right, obviously. And the goblins. They're, they're all, they've got piercings. They've all got these little sort of weird wild haircuts. Mm -hmm. um, they look like they're going to bottle you at, at any moment. That's right. Uh, you know, it, he's, he's really brought a lot of, of his life experiences in his designs. And I think um, that brings that, – that sort of, you know, we can tell – uh, a lot about Kev uh, through the miniatures he's designed over the years. But he he told me that the Night Goblins was his favourite project, and I was really so happy to hear him say that because it's probably my favourite um, line of miniatures from 4th edition. Yeah. And um, uh, I, I was just lucky enough to get a whole bunch of them uh, in a big trade deal with a mate of mine back in Australia many years ago. And I've treasured them ever since. So, yeah, to hear him say that was his favorite project and Brian, I think Brian Ansell, I think, um, gave him the, the green light to to design the, the the Night Goblins for fourth edition. So that was so cool. So I asked him, mate, can you give us a quick interview? He said, yeah, no problem. He's really busy at home doing his garden and that kind of stuff at the moment. So he doesn't mm -hmm. have a lot of time. But he did give me the, uh, the, the interview right at the last minute. We got it into the, into the fanzine right at the last minute. So I think it was like a couple of days before we released it. So... We were so glad to get that. Yeah, man. Well, some of the other articles, um, I mean, there are things that we talk about on podcasts all the time, but to actually have it, have people who know what they're talking about get in uh, and then give you really pointy and helpful articles, uh, you know, it, it feels like an old white dwarf. Uh, for example, painting fantasy armies without losing your mind. Uh, mm. That is, you know, I... I've read that twice now, uh, you know, just simple tricks and you go, yep, I do some of that already. So it, it's great to reinforce. Oh yeah, I do that. But for someone who paints as slowly as I do, there's some really good tips in there and I've been painting forever, but to, to flip through and go, yeah, that's great content. Oh yeah. Let me try that. Um, likewise, the whole article about the, the Warhammer Renaissance and looking back at, you know, the era was just, you know, again, it was that great nostalgia pill that, you know, you, you really does. And even if you didn't play Warhammer in the 90s, uh, if you played something else or weren't alive yet, 
or didn't play at all, it's it's good to look back at some of these because it gives you a, an almost a historical perspective on the evolution of what has really driven a lot of what is in the gaming industry today. I mean, you and I were talking off air. You and I are both XGW employees. Um, and, you know, as has been joked uh, from time to time, it, you know, so many, I guess it's the school of hard knocks. So many people have gone through Games Workshop who work in other companies now and have made their own companies. Warlord Games, for example, Footsore Miniatures. I mean, it, the list goes on and on and on and on. And all of these people came from this. They worked for GW in the in the in the O's. They worked for GW in the 90s. They worked for GW in the 80s. And so when we look at modern game systems, we look at where the gaming industry today is, so many of those people came from the old school. And so to get that perspective really does make modern gaming make more sense at times. So again, looking at your magazine really reminded me of some 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 interesting ideas that I might bring to uh, podcast uh, episodes of my own. But yeah, fantastic stuff. Oh, that's good to hear, mate. That's great, Brad. Um, yeah, I hope it. I hope it does. If anything, just shows that you know these old games they're not dead and buried. I mean, there's still some really good stuff out there that has been maybe just forgotten over time through iterations of various editions that have come and superseded them. Um, I, I, I'm probably many people will know I, I sort of fell out of Games Workshop after fifth edition ended and they went to sixth edition. It just wasn't my thing. Um, and I think for a lot of people, it, it was the same case for them as well. And I think that this probably might, might appeal to those people, but it, it might appeal to people who liked sixth edition or the later editions anyway. But it's just to say that, you know, there is a living community. We are playing, we are actively, you know, involved in resurrecting these dead old games and, um, Oh, sorry. There's a bit of a bell in the <laughs> that's background. Okay. That's the scathing swimming bell. That's what I like to call it. Exactly. Um, that's all thankful telling, you know, get out, get off your backside. It's four o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, but yeah, we're, we're, we're still uh, enjoying these old games because there was nothing really wrong. There's nothing really broken or wrong with them. Uh, I think uh, as, as Rick uh, pointed out in one of your earlier uh, podcasts that, you know, they were designed not as real uh, tournament or competitive games. They were really to, you know, for you to give you the tools in order to uh, um, give a narrative or give a story to your games, and for them to be very lighthearted and enjoy and to be enjoyed. Um, they weren't really meant to be uh, sort of very competitive, uh, balanced games in many ways. I don't think. Yeah. Well, I mean, Rick famously is not huge on balance. Um, for him, it's always mm. fun. It's always, uh, it's always the narrative, telling the story on the tabletop, making it cinematic, making it a good time for the people who are playing it. Um, and he doesn't always like doing point values. And so and a lot of these games come straight out of uh, the studio that Rick partially, if not entirely, ran at that point. So, you know, mm. with those aesthetics in mind, it's, it's unsurprising that this is what we got um, in the best way possible. Now, I know from looking at this, uh, and you've got me going down a few rabbit holes myself, um, I've been looking at completing a few projects that I might have in my closet, or, you know, you, you look back romantically at uh, a model range or two that you don't, you never got back in the day, and going to look online for some of these models, I mean, Games Workshop's prices 
in general are breathtaking, like these days, especially in Australia. But to look online at the prices of the old models, I remember giving away or, you know, selling some of these for almost nothing because you couldn't give them away. Now, they're worth a king's ransom. Do you have, uh, as, as an enthusiast, I, I do realize that I, you may not want to give away all your secrets, but um, do you have any tips or tricks that might help us uh, looking for some of the old gold without having to spend the king's ransom? Uh, that's a really good point, and a lot of people raise that. You know, how they get, how do they, how do they get a hold of these old figures? And if you're lucky, you'll have them stuck away in your attic, as mm-hmm. many photos come off on Facebook saying, "Oh, look, I just went in my attic and look what I found." And they they find this whole box full of stuff that you know, um, it's probably worth an absolute fortune these days. It's but been being buried in their parents' place or whatever. But if you don't have that luxury, um, like many of us, then um, get part of get get involved in the Facebook. Uh, old hammer trading group mm-hmm. i think that's that's the place where i found all my dwarves pretty much 99 percent of it um at really good prices probably the, the prices are probably about the same as what they were back in the 90s so uh, there's no fear of inflation they've got a evaluation page as well so they, they and people will certainly point things out to people that if they're overpricing it um, so it's very well regulated in that sense and if you ask for it, and once once they sort of know you more and more, um, I think um, you know you'll get more success uh, through that than you would do on uh, eBay or something like that. I, I tend not to use eBay at all, but then in, in some other cases it may work for other people. It just really depends. But um, I would suggest that as as one place. Maybe go through like some kind of local um, some local uh, not auction but some kind of local sales group because um, a guy pointed out to me over in uh, Austria, he has some kind of uh, local community um, gaming uh, like site where they sell stuff and he's picked up a great bargain uh, in there as well. So there are, there are, there are bargains out there. It's just, you know, you just have to work at them and you have to do a lot of networking maybe with people and groups and that kind of thing. And just sort of keep your ear to the ground and, just be lucky in some cases, because when they do come up, they tend to get snatched up very quickly. Um, so you just got to be patient. I think overall, you, you really need to be patient. And if you're not patient and you want something straight away, again, go to people like Nightmare Games. There are alternatives. They've got um, what's what's the other one? Black Tree Design, but I think they're called something else now. Um, yeah, you will find alternatives if you if you're happy not to have the exact models. And you just want something on the table. You've got, um, I think, Warlord Games do a whole range of plastic fantasy models. They you can do. proxy them for different things. You've got Perry's. The Perry's have their own range of um, sort of Renaissance style mm-hmm. um, uh, miniatures that you could uh, quite easily proxy in for an Empire army. I've, I've seen it done, and it looks really nice. Um, a friend of the show, Quinn, who did our. Um the, the, the video uh, animation at the start of our YouTube channels actually literally just did that, and it looks sensational. It looks straight out of old Empire books, and of course it's made entirely out of Perry models. And it is, I mean, the Perrys, of course, famously were sculptors for Games Workshop for a long time too, so it's unsurprising. Mm. But the quality of the top-tier, new-style plastics with the Perry sculpting, I mean, it, it, it totally fits Empire to a T, yeah. you might have to do a little tweaking if you want to add things like flagellants or, you know, 
wizards. But other than that, if you all your state troops, perfect. Yeah, perfect. And in, in a very rare case, like I've just received a parcel from New Zealand from my good mate Jesse Callahan. So Jesse, if you're listening, a um, bit of a shout out to him. Uh, we did we did something about 12 months ago in like a trade deal. Uh, or I, I painted his miniatures uh, for his Chaos Army, and mm-hmm. he traded me an entire Empire Army for Fourth Edition. Oh, so, wow! Yeah, uh, I've, I've just did a big unboxing video. If you want to see those model, models, you can go to my um, Facebook group page and have a look at the video there. Uh, but that was 3.5 kgs of lead, and um, but I mean that's just that's just a very special rare case. I mean I got a war wagon. I mean those things are worth I don't know about 300 bucks complete nowadays or You're more. You're kidding. Yeah, I've got one of those. I've got. I, I might have uh, one of those. Oh, I, I, well, okay. They're worth an absolute fortune oh, that's um, crazy. if you have one complete, and it's and it's not recast or anything like that, um, and a ton of other stuff. So that's that's a real rare case. You know, not not everyone's going to have that 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 come up, but it came up, mm-hmm. and I took the opportunity. And I thought, what the hell? I'll I'll just paint it so I can get my dream empire army from the mm-hmm. Perrys. Yeah, so. Um, if you're if you're talented with painting or talented with other things, maybe you can do some kind of trade with somebody, offer yeah. your services in some way, and that you can exchange that for miniatures without any cash transferring from hand to hand. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe yeah, maybe you can do something where you have talents where other people need that for something, and you can trade it. Um, yeah. So you know. Uh, just start getting involved with the groups online on Facebook, especially because they're generally well regulated. Um, they're going to just, you know, tell people off if they do sell stuff way overpriced. Yeah. Um, and generally, those guys they're pretty, you know, as war gamers, they're pretty honest uh, people. You know what I mean? We're not going to uh, rip anybody off. So um, I've had so many great uh, people that I've met through trade groups there now, and really nice people that have just sent me stuff. Um, because I, they know I'm, I'm sort of building something here. Uh, and I'm not going to sell it on. I'm not going to try to make it quit on uh, on their miniatures. They mm. know I'm trying to really. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a serious collector and I'm, I'm a painter, and I'm going to show these off on my YouTube channel or in photographs of the fanzine or something like that. So um, it's giving the yeah. good. It's giving them a good home, right? It's giving them really good home. I don't know where I'm. I don't know where I'm going to put them because I'm really I'm running, I'm running out of space in my cabinet already, mate. Mm-hmm. So. I've got to find storage solutions in my really small house here in Japan uh, as to where I'm going to put all this stuff now. But uh, it's been fun. It's been really great, great journey. It's been really good to get back into it, though, overall as an experience. And the main thing is, uh, you know, connecting with people during this time and make and developing friendships out of that. Exactly. Um, exactly. So it's really, really good. And while you're hunting down those models, if you are looking to possibly play, uh, I, I have some friends who are looking to run a Warhammer 6th edition tournament in, uh, in the coming weeks and months. Um, so I'm pulling out all my old Squarebase armies trying to figure out, wait, can I build an army out of these? Um, when you go back to older games, uh, especially Warhammer Fantasy and 40K, um, when I sat down to play Rogue Trader, uh, and I was looking at how to make a second ed army because I, I would like to follow up the Rogue Trader episode with a Warhammer 40k second edition uh, mm. episode, play a couple games, and then get it going. So I'm putting together forces, and I cannot believe how small the armies are by modern mm. standards. You know, you look at a game, you know, Warhammer uh, Eighth Ed, you know, if you look at that, or you look at Age of Sigmar, or you look at Kings of War, and you look at the tabletop, you see masses of regiments and just hordes of models 
And yet when you look back at the older style White Dwarf articles or the older uh, editions, the armies are, you know, the entire army is almost one regiment or, you know, if it's a really large regiment, a horde from 8th edition, you could get an entire army's worth. It's crazy, the difference. Yeah, and that's that's a good point, actually, because um, I'm just getting back into 2nd edition 40K2 now. Uh, thanks to the Dr. Viking, because he's got that painting challenge for mm -hmm. the Cowabunga, um, his blog. Um, I think it's. I think to give to give me some credit, I, we'll probably have to put the link in there somewhere in your show notes, maybe. But, but uh, I think it's called Cowabunga 28 millimeter old school. Yes. Uh, I think that's what the, I think that's the title of his blog. So if people want to go and check that out. I'll share it through the Facebook page when I put this episode out. Great. Thank you very much, my dear. I think you'd appreciate that. But oh yeah. man, it's great. I if I may it's have awesome, already man. shared it. If maybe not. But I have been watching it because I've been following the progress of people's painting, and it's awesome. Yeah, it's really, really good. He's got some really great uh, contributors there for his challenge, and um, I'm one of the lucky last people who do just snuck in right at the last minute because I've got uh, a wonderful range of Rogue Trader Kev Adam uh, design uh, orcs and Gretchen, mm -hmm. and that I'm using for second edition now. And I've got some uh, Nightmare Games Gretchen as well, also designed by Kev Adams. A uh, bit of a shout out there to Diego's company. If you're looking for uh, alternatives um, that Kev Adams has designed, then go to Nightmare Games. They they sell a range of orcs and Gretchen there as well. So I I've got, might be doing that and, right now. Yeah. <laughs> And the uh, and the, the the size of it is so much better, so much easier than a painting a Warhammer a fantasy army. I can tell you, mate. I'm just like thinking, well, I've already done my first entry for the month. I mean, I did that in like a week, so it was really easy to, to pump out. Uh, was it ten models and a, and a, a war machine? I think I had a, a squig catapult or something to do. So that's already done. So I'm now working on my my Gretchen now, and me and Paul are going to start playing it again because I want to put that on my channel uh, on the YouTube channel. Uh, to to really start getting some second edition 40k uh, content out there because there is nothing there's absolutely nothing out there uh, which is really sad because that that again was one of the games that I really enjoyed uh, with playing with friends playing with my chaos army and all that kind of stuff back in the day yeah I mean it's one of those things uh, I as I said I played 40k religiously forever mm. and I followed the editions, one edition after another after another, until I think the early days, yeah, the, the opening weeks of 6th edition, I played a couple games, and I absolutely hated it, and I never went back. But I remember the jump from 2nd Ed to 3rd Ed. Now, 2nd Ed was the very first, was my very first tournament game, because I started flying to uh, Baltimore to play in the, in the Grand Tournament. And I started following the Grand Tournament circuit in the US before I, I flew down here and started playing down here. And of course, that was from second to third to fourth to fifth. Um, but the jump from second to third was a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow. They just, it, it, it took Warhammer in a totally different direction. Codexes went from being these fat tomes full of lore and color and beautiful pictures and you know, painted models and almost mini catalogs in the back to 24 pages, black and white, go. And you were yep. just like, wait, what? Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, the rules changed significantly as well. And uh, it was just a, it was culture shock. And a lot of people just couldn't understand it. Now, I love third edition. I love third edition. And I know it has its problems, but I love second edition. So I never, I, I never understood the, 
the well, you know, it, it, the evolution, right? You know, just got to stay up, keep mm. up with it. Um, but in retrospect, you look back, right, and you think looking at Games Workshop as as a sales cycle, and I did work in their sales department. They the codex creep is real. Like you can't argue it. It it's always been there. And one of the great things about looking back at prior editions is you're not standing on that um, ever-changing treadmill of codex creep where you're chasing the next project. All of the army lists are done. And in some cases, um, as in with some of the mentions in the Hero Hammer magazine and on your podcast when you were talking about the Don't Be a Dick uh, tournament format for second (laughs) edition, right? Um, With those... Often it's, and I know your magazine is called Hero Hammer, and that's, you know, a couple of people look back. I've talked to some people about, hey, isn't this great? And they're like, oh, Hero Hammer. I hated Hero Hammer. I love the models. The games are great, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I hated the fact that heroes were such a big part of it. Um, Well, in almost every article I've read um, that's mentioned it, and on your podcast, people talking about it, it's the, I'm going to take the power out of the hero take out the big characters. I'm going to put on a, a, a lower character. Gives you more of an opportunity to have troops, right? Um, and you have a more balanced, fun game. I mean, second ed only went four turns. You know, we we're, everything I think of for Warhammer 40K is third edition. Six turns, move um, models moving six inches. All of those things are from third. And if you look at second, it gets really weird but if you're able to look at it as an entirety the idea of codex creep sort of stops being because the community will have leveled it a little bit but you're not chasing the next thing and you can just dig into the thing you're passionate about have you is that something that you've has been your experience now that you've been going back to these games yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? You're not chasing the next big thing or not not waiting for the next release. It's all out. It's all there. And and once you collect something, you've collected it. There's yeah. nothing else more to collect. You know, once you've got that last Empire model to complete your collection of Perry's, you know, miniatures, that's it. That's the last one you'll need. It's just awesome. Um, I th- I think in in relate in relation to what you're talking about the, the rules and the, and the balancing issues and that kind of thing where people's and I know some people's reaction to it is like oh you know it's like it's the Prince Emeric on a dragon or it's um, that Chaos Lord and the dragon kind mm-hmm. of syndrome where – and I, I played – and funnily enough, I played a game um, against a dragon in my last game, which is I think the second time ever in my life I've played against a dragon. And they are scary things on the tabletop. And I can, I can understand that you know that plus the, the, the general or the hero armed to the teeth with magic items – is just going to cut a, a slew through your units, and it's just going to, you know, give you a bad experience. But um, there's there's ways of mitigating that a little bit um, in in your own sort of play play circles or play groups. Uh, we've done that in a couple of couple of ways. We've developed our own house rules um, in and just a few, just a few for just to uh, make things a little bit better, or just to you know dumb dumb down things a little bit in some areas. Or tone things down, I should say. But mm-hmm. that'll be coming out in the second issue. I'm getting Paul to write that up for us. Brilliant. Uh, because he's he's been the main instigator of, of doing these house rules, and we're sort of just saying, yeah, that's that sounds like a good idea. I think that might improve our game or whatever. Um, so you, you can be flexible, and I think Rick, if you talk to Rick about that, he'd be like, yeah, you know, like you know, these are like like I said, these are just like the the framework. You guys can just do whatever you like with it, you know. Or if something breaks your 
um, breaks the game or just ruins your experience with it, well, just work with your opponent and just tune it, fine tune it to the way that you know makes you enjoy the game again. Yeah. Um, the other way in the article in the fans, and if you've seen it, is the one I did for uh, drafting. Now, that's not my uh, my invention. It's it's Dave Lister um, who gave me the idea of that. And ever since I've tried it, ever since I played it, man, it's just totally uh, you know, just given me a whole new uh, way to look at Warhammer, playing Warhammer, because now you you don't have these mirroring of um, you know I'm taking the black helmet. Oh, you're taking the black helmet. I'm taking the crown of crown. Oh, you're taking the crown of crown. <laughs> yes. You know, he's got the heart of woe. I've got the heart of woe. You know, all these kind of things that you would have been very familiar with back How in the day. How many heart of woes have I played against over the years? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Everyone had that goddamn magic item. Yeah. I was like, yeah, again, I get it. You got a heart of woe. Got it. Okay, move on. Yeah. Yeah. You see that you see the hero on the Pegasus. You know he's got the yeah. heart of woe. I mean, yeah. If right? someone's got the um, what's the other thing that that black Gemini? Yes. Okay? Boring. I'm, I'm I'm really over that over all that kind of stuff. So this whole drafting thing has just totally uh, reinvented the game for me completely uh, from the ground up. Okay, well the basis of it is still the same, but the magic items are all uh, drawn at random. So you know you have some flexibility in it, and the article covers that when you read it. But mm-hmm. you know you draw your number of items per 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 um, per player. Yeah. And then you assign those items to the characters in your force. And you have a throwback option, so you can throw one back and pick pick another one if you want to, and that should give you a nice. Uh, now the the points values, of course, are all sort of a bit swingy. So someone might pull a 125 point uh, sword, and someone might pull a 25 point sword. Well, that's just tough luck, and you just got to deal with it. Yeah. But um, in the case of the last game with the dragon, well, I I drew an item which was the dragon slayer, um, oh. just by chance. I would have never taken that item. Right. Never. In a million years, but I just drew that item and it just worked perfect. And I had so many instances where the items we had, they just in a, in a certain instance in the game, it just it they were just perfect for it. They, mm-hmm. they just worked wonderfully, and it gave this whole and it just gave these really memorable instances in, in games which wouldn't happen any other way. Um, so that that's brought a lot of joy to us. Uh, and you know, you can just tone things down or just you know, it's your own game system. You can make yeah. make it whatever you want. And I think the Warhammer Renaissance rules try to cover that kind of stuff as well um, uh, in toning things down that were maybe too overpowered, but keeping the hero hammer element uh, still alive in it, though. So if people want to look at the Warhammer Renaissance rules, where can they find that? Uh, that's a good point. Well, I think the only place you can get it uh, for now is through the Facebook group. Uh, that's Facebook group Warhammer Renaissance. Mm-hmm. If you check that up, you'll find it. And... I've just talked to um, Boulder. Boulder's the the gentleman behind that project, mm-hmm. and I said, because now it's just a white, black and white document, so there's no color. It's just you know, just like a word document basically. And we want to um, take that, give it the the graphical uh, magic mm-hmm. that Angel and the other guys can do to it, and make it look like, and give it a front cover, back cover, make it printable, um, make it so that people can print it out and have a beautiful colored uh, with illustrations and everything in it, um, and give it the whole, you know, uh, the whole five five yards kind of thing, you know, in production. So hopefully we can do that later and have it on an external uh, link outside of Facebook group so people who don't use Facebook can get it um, somewhere else, maybe through our our um our link up here as well for the through the fanzine maybe at some at some point but yeah uh they can access it through facebook that's the only place i can i can recommend getting it 
Um, but I'll talk to Boulder about getting like an external link uh, that he can host it up somewhere else. Yeah. And then people can um, get, play it, you know, at, at their leisure. They can play it, but the only thing is you'll need the fourth edition uh, Battle Magic set and oh, the Arcane Magic set. Now, if you have the fifth edition Magic set, it's completely compatible with it because all the the the, the spells, uh, apart from the from the um, the Empire College College Magic spells, mm-hmm. are included in the fifth edition set. But uh, all the other all the other um, uh, spell laws are there. So. Uh, there are ways around. I, I've got both sets, so I can I can use both, and they're a bit more versatile that way. I had forgotten um, that, and it's yeah, it's those things that you just forget the history of it. Like Space mm-hmm. Marines didn't have three up armor saves in Rogue Trader um, until <laughs> you actually go back to do it. You go, oh god, yes, that I forgot about that. Well, Josh, I, I'm sorry to say, I think our time is uh, drawing to a close, but let's talk a little bit about how people can get the Hero Hammer fanzine now oftentimes when people are on the show and they're talking about the things they've been working on it often results in people having a product to sell for example and that's just the nature of the games industry people put their time and money in uh to creating these things and then you know they hope that other people will love them and play them and usually they ask for some you know financial restitution in return uh, not in this case. Uh, the the Hero Hammer fanzine is absolutely free, and my favorite part about it is because I am very much a hands on guy. Is that you guys have created a, a a download page, so I was able to print it and then or uh, download it and print it in color, and then I I've been reading it before bed, and it's very much like reading White Dwarf as a kid. It's awesome. Uh, tell us where people can find the Hero Hammer fanzine uh, so they can enjoy it too. Sure, mate. Okay, so people go to go online. They can uh, just type in Hero Hammer, that's one word, then hyphen fanzine, that's one word, dot com, and that should take you to our Hero Hammer fanzine site. Now, you'll see uh, when you get there, you'll see um, some like an intro page, and when you scroll down, um, you'll see like a, the latest magazine icon or tab you can click on and also a download print version. We've been working behind the scenes um, busily there with finding the best print, uh, like the, um, uh, the, the sizes or the um, lot, lots of information basically we'll, we'll release uh, with Angel and uh, I think Heiko from the, uh, from the, from the Netherlands are putting together like a, 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 some kind of sheet to help you how to best print your, uh, fanzine so because i don't know how to do it probably <laughs> myself i need to go to a, a professional printer and give him some information so he can print it out the best way possible it will come with a spine as well so um you can actually spine it and that kind of thing which is quite cool really? uh, we're looking at maybe a print on demand option as well um, so you can order it through a particular website printer and they'll just send it to you but it's probably a bit more expensive i don't know um but yeah the, the most important point is that we're an unofficial fanzine. This is no way endorsed by Games Workshop. We're not asking for any money because, obviously, if we did that, we'd be in big trouble. Um, we don't want to do that. It was never our, our intent. It was just we're just fans, and we want to inspire people and bring them some joy uh, with this fanzine. Exactly. So we're not asking for any money. Uh, so please go and download it and print it out if you want to. Uh, otherwise, there's just a online readable version of the magazine as well. Um, but yeah, mate, that's it. 
Fantastic. And God, thank you so much for making the time to come on, Josh. I know that even though we're in a similar time zone, uh, lining up schedules can be very tricky. And uh, you have a million podcasts. You have YouTube content, of course, all under the Crown of Command uh, podcast banner um, title. But there's and you've been working on this and you have a day job and you have a family and everything else. Uh, Man, thank you so much for all the hard work you put in. Because, uh, you know, I had a tough week at work, and reading your magazine absolutely brightened my week in a big way. And, yeah, I've been grinning all week as I just flip through and enjoy the articles, and I, I cannot recommend enough. If, uh, if you have a love of, uh, or you love GW back then, check this out, guys. It is awesome. And, Josh, thank you so much for your effort. No, mate, I really appreciate you asking me to come on. I really enjoyed today, mate. So it was good talking to you, Brad. So thanks, mate, and have a good day. Cheers, man. And and guys, thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you have any feedback about what you'd like to hear on Cast Ice, I know I've been getting a lot of comments saying, can you do more bolt action content? Fear not. Pete West is back in the next episode. We've already recorded it. Uh, Look for it next week, and we will be talking lots of bolt-action content. Uh, And there is actually yet another episode of the Ghost Army podcast that will be coming up soon as well. Um, Thank you so much to everyone who uh, contributed to the thread on Facebook where we uh, talked about all of the possible options of future episodes of Cast Ice. I will be taking those episodes straight out of that thread. Um, If you would like to contact the page directly, just go to Facebook, search up Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. You can find the link to Hero Hammer that I have posted there. You can find uh, the the Dr. Viking link uh, for the Second Ed painting thread. Uh, And you can message the page directly, and you are guaranteed a response by me. Hi, my name is Brad. Um, And just... Remember, I am in Australia, and the time zone does mean that often when you're awake, I'm asleep. So please be patient. But anyway, I think it's about that time that we get to what our old buddy Casey always says. When you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than anything else, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay f- safe out there, guys. Good night.